What is up, guys? Welcome into another episode of the Blake Pace Podcast. I am, of course, Blake Pace, your host. Hope you all had a great weekend. We're into the month of June now, uh, and we've got a lot going on, you know. Um, we had the first two games of the NBA Finals uh, last Thursday, last Thursday, and last night on Sunday. Um, this is being recorded on June 4th, a Monday. Um and yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're moving right now. We're grooving. Um, you know, I'm going to talk a little about these first two uh, NBA Finals games. And then actually, you know, this final series taught me a lot about what I think. Um, you know, we've seen some great teams around LeBron James. We've seen him play with some great stars. But I'll tell you how I think these teams, you know, throughout his career have been um, poorly adjusted or p- poorly um, created. And, you know, I, I'm going to talk a little bit later in this episode about, you know, what LeBron James really needs as, you know, a team and, you know, what I think is, you know, more specifically meant for him. Maybe it doesn't include as many stars as you may think it does, um, but we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about the NBA Finals. I have beef with just about everyone from the Golden State players to the referees to uh, Ty Lu to J.R. Smith, of course. So we'll talk about that Um You know, also in the NFL, we're going to look, you know, we're not 32 episodes away from the NFL season, but um, just because of, you know, there'll be certain days that I won't be able to do a show, we are going to start previewing each team of the NFL, Um, just going to go down the list alphabetically uh, and, you know, go over the team record, um, you know, who's going to, you know, play an important role for certain players on the team, look at the coaching staff. Um, I went down over the weekend all through uh, all through all 256 games of the NFL season and kind of, uh, you know, found out the projected records, I guess, um, for the NFL teams next year, you know, the playoff standings, uh, division standings, standings within the conference. So, um, you know, we'll start today with the Arizona Cardinals um, working down uh, alphabetically. And uh, yeah, we've got a pretty uh, filled episode today, so you know, let's not waste any time and get into player profiles for episode number eight. So starting off player profiles for episode number eight, we're talking about the Hebrew Hammer, Ryan Braun, left fielder, third baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers, former MVP, five-time Silver Slugger, rookie of the year, six-time All-Star. Did I mention he's Jewish? A Jewish uh, professional athlete. How amazing. The Hebrew Hammer, Ryan Joseph Braun. Um, you know, specifically, I guess we would go with his MVP season back in 2011. Slugging percentage of 597. Uh, hit 332 on the year. Um, let's see how many we got. 33 home runs. 111 RBIs. 33 stolen bases. You know, a terrific outfielder. Um, was an all-star that season as well, Silver Slugger. He also followed that up the following season uh, in 2012, finishing second place in MVP voting. Um, You know, even exploded for, you know, 41 home runs that season. Um, You know, just one more RBI at 112. Uh, You know, batting average and stuff was a down from the year before. So I'm going to stick with that 2011 season as, you know, really the highlight um, for Ryan Braun. Uh, you know, I'm not going to start off every episode. I can't say that, you know, my, the, the baseball guys are going to get the most love on this show. Uh, you know, as you've probably just heard me discuss, you know, in these first seven episodes, I tend to be more of an NBA, NFL, football and basketball kind of guy, but I do got to give love 
to some uh, Major League Baseball players when they deserve it. Ryan Braun, definitely worthy of uh, some love. Looking at some other guys, um, I was looking in the NBA, and, you know, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put Kobe Bryant in there. The Kobe Bryant I know is number 24. Um, he's the guy that I got to watch most of. These aren't guys that I didn't get to experience. Um, so, you know, if you want to hear about Kobe, just wait, you know, 16 more episodes, we'll get there. Um, I was looking at the NBA current guys wearing uh, number eight, and there's not, you know, a great list. Um, I guess if there was one guy that I wanted to pick on just because I went, you know, back to back episodes before talking about my New York Knicks with Kristaps uh, Porzingis and the uh, former Carmelo Anthony, um, I'm going to show some love to Michael Beasley uh, forward for the uh, for the New York Knicks um, upcoming free agent. You know, I, I got to witness um, my first NBA game in Madison Square Garden uh, this past winter. And it was a Thursday night primetime game, Knicks versus Celtics. You know, I was I was so ready. You know, Chris Dobbs had been on a tear to start off the season. I was ready to watch my my favorite player in the league, Chris Dobbs Porzingis, tear apart the Boston Celtics. Um, Chris Dobbs had one point <laughs> in the entire game. But Michael Beasley put up 30 points, 10 rebounds, and won the game for the Knicks over the Boston Celtics on a Thursday primetime game. It is a game I will never forget. Um, If you are any, you know, the slightest bit of a basketball fan, you have to get to MSG. Um, I had so many people tell me about it, and really the experience was something I will never forget. Um, And I won't forget it because of Michael Beasley putting up that 30 and 10, so I got to give him some love. And then, uh, you know, going... Not to the NFL, you know, we're going to talk about a quarterback, but I'm going to talk about his uh, his time in college. Uh, we're looking at Oregon quarterback Marcus Mariota, uh, 2014 Heisman winner, uh, wearer of number eight, um, you know, 10,000 career passing yards, a quarterback rating of, a career quarterback rating there of 171.8, 105 touchdowns to go with just 14 interceptions, including eight over his last two seasons in college. Also ran the ball uh, for 2,237 yards, 29 touchdowns on the ground, two receiving touchdowns in his career. Uh, You know, Marcus Mariota, I was a big Oregon fan um, in Marcus Mariota's years, of course. Maybe I'm not the biggest fan of him in the NFL now. Um, You know, we'll talk a little about that as we get closer to the NFL season when I preview the Titans. But, you know, I fell in love with Marcus Mariota in college. Um, His game was electric, you know, working in that Oregon, uh, you know, West Coast offense. It it was truly amazing. Um, And, yeah, I think, you know, we're going to wrap it up there. A pretty good list. Start off with Ryan Braun, then took it to Michael Beasley of my New York Knicks, and then finishing off with one of my college loves, Marcus Mariota. So, of course, you know, with topics, we have to start with the NBA Finals. Of course, for those who do not know, um, the Golden State Warriors took a 2-0 series lead over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, You know, the first game in disappointing fashion for Cleveland. uh, Game 2 was, you know, more of a blowout. Um, I, I don't even know where to begin with this because... You know, it was sad. You know, I I did pick the Golden State Warriors to sweep the Cavs, and it looks like, you know, we're on our way to that at least. Um, You know, maybe Cleveland squeezes out a Game 3 win, um, first game at home, role players play better at home. You know, Golden State traveling to somewhere they're not familiar with. It's the most likely game for 
the Golden State Warriors to lose this series. Um, but no, nonetheless, you know, I expect this to still be a four-game series, five at most. Um, but man, you know, I it's been a while since I found myself rooting so hard against the Golden State Warriors. Um, and for a while, you know, I was rooting for just, you know, great basketball. Last finals, you know, five-game series, I, I wasn't necessarily rooting for a team or the other. I just wanted a good series. Of course, we didn't get that. Um, game one, you know, and, and through, honestly, the first three quarters of game two, it was, it's was it been a good series so far. So I can't complain about that. But there are a lot of other things that I can complain about. Um, the first, starting with uh, the referees, and I think, you know, in more of a general sense, it's not even just these NBA referees. It's the referees across the league and what they deem appropriate for penalizing um, players who are known to be more outspoken um, versus players and coaches who are more timid and you know, you know, remain calm through most of their you know f- through most of the season or most of their careers. And um, the first thing I have to look at is the way that uh, the leeway that Draymond Green gets in a basketball series. You know. It seems almost every foul call, almost every foul call, um, not not every single one, but a majority of the calls that go against Draymond Green, he always has something to say to the refs. And, you know, for a while, um, a majority of them, he yells, and maybe it's not always in the direction of the ref, but maybe he's yelling and he's arguing, running up and down the court, um, causing a fuss. And, you know, he does get his fair share of technicals, but um, then, in you know, you had Ty Lu, uh in game two, um, argue a foul call, you know, in, in what was, in my opinion, a, a obvious foul call, LeBron had caught the ball and tripped up between Steph and Clay, and it should have been a blocking foul. Instead, they called a turnover on LeBron and the Cavs. And Ty Lue, a coach that is never really outspoken or not, isn't, isn't one of those arrogant coaches who screams at referees all the time, um, has a little bit of an outburst, you know, one of the few that he has had this entire season and the refs do not hesitate to give him a technical call it's just, it's, it's a very, um, it's a poor mistreatment of guys who spend the majority of their careers, not yelling at the referees opposed to a guy like Draymond Green, who is always arguing with the referees. He gets a longer rope and more leeway into what he can say towards referees, how much attitude he can give before the referees finally decide to punish him. And what I think is it, what it does is that it, it just, sets up younger NBA generations and the future NBA generations, if they're watching this, to be that cocky, that that poor attitude character on the field. So that way, or on the court in, in basketball talk, so that way you'll be given that longer leash five years into your career when, oh, you know, we've heard him yell for five years, so let's, you know, wait till he complains the fifth time, then we'll give him a technical. Yet you'll have uh, a coach who doesn't say much at all, doesn't have that many technical fouls called against him, have one small outburst in a final series, and then he gets a technical for it. And, you know, my second problem with that also, and Jeff Van Gundy, I think, did a great job um, explaining this during the finals, is the refs missed a call. They missed an obvious foul call, and in my opinion, a, an obvious foul call that should have been on either Steph or Clay for colliding with LeBron James. LeBron, you know, is a player going up to the, receive the ball, has the right to land safely. He didn't. He was tripped up by the collision between Steph and Clay, and in, in so was caused a turnover. So that was a first off a missed call by the referees. But then they get double penalized because they give the technical foul to Tyrone Lue. And now in that sense, you have not only just taken away the ball from them in what would have been a scoring opportunity, but you give the Golden State Warriors one free throw attempt 
and the ball and more momentum, especially when you're playing in Oracle, um, you're playing at home and, you know, teams can really feed into that energy. Um, so I think that all in all, this has been a very poorly officiated finals. Um, and I think that it's, it, it speaks on a much larger problem with officiating in the NBA as a whole. Um, I think that referees have kind of sort of been, you know, gained egos, um, you know, throughout their years. And, you know, I'm, I, I can't say that I'm too familiar with the subject to speak on it more, but it seems as though NBA referees aren't holding the same standards to every game, to every player, um, and that it, it's really falling, you know, it, it, it falls onto the victim of the guy who is, you know, less outspoken and is a better character guy on the court um, as a coach, it, and it shows more favoritism towards those who misbehave just because we're used to it, we're accustomed to it, so we give them, you know, we you can yell at me four times, but the fifth time, I'm going to give you a technical, whereas, you know, Tyrone Lue, who, you know, hasn't done much all season, hasn't been that, you know, aggressive or outspoken, maybe in his entire coaching career. He has one small outburst over an obviously missed call, and he gets, you know, an automatic technical foul. Um, so, you know, I've had a, f- there's a lot of problems I have with these finals. The first one, I, there's, there's been a lot of issues, um, with me and the referees. And I, you know, it, it's got, it's not just, you know, me that thinks this, it, it seems to be everything I see, um, I love Jeff Van Gundy. Uh, just, you know, a little side note right here. He is using the platform of being, you know, a commentator on the finals to really show the issues within the NBA. And it's not even just this finals. He does it all the time. And I love listening to hear, uh, to hear him speak. Um, he understands and shows, you know, that the NBA has some issues and, you know, specifically with refereeing or, you know, uh, an unequal treatment between different types of players, different egos of players. And, you know, he's enlightening the general population of fans. So I really appreciate Jeff Van Gundy, you know, former head coach. Um, you know, I would love to see him in the league again. You know, there's still a few open slots this, uh, this season, um, you know, Milwaukee or Detroit is still trying to figure it out. Um, I believe Milwaukee is, and then Toronto as well. You know, if Jeff Van Gundy does want to make the jump back into the league um, for coaching, I think it would be a great move for him. Um, just a little side note there about Van Gundy, but uh, yeah, you know, the referees, I'd hate to see um, a really great series taken away by poor officiating. Um, you know, in game one, it was the overturned charge call. Um, you know, that one was a big no to me just because I I can understand you want to review it to, um, see if he was in the, you know, in the circle and he wasn't, you know, in, um, charge position. Um, if he was, you know, you know, improperly or he was out of place to get called for a charge, but I think that you can't really take away the movement from it. I think that those calls are made, um, you know, in, in the spur of a moment. And then you, you, you know, why don't we look at every charge call now? And why don't we, why don't we hit the booth into every play and look at the reviews for every charge call to see, Oh, he moved that slight inch. We have to overturn it because of course a lot of fouls will be overturned because a lot of calls aren't made correct at the right time. So, you know, going to the replay to overturn something just because you see something new rather than an infraction, you know, charges, you're not allowed to be in that restricted area. So if you're in that restricted area, I understand overturning it because that is the thing, but there is so much, you know, 
small fine-tuning details went into, you know, a player's movement while drawing a charge, I would think that, you know, 90% of ones that were called would be overturned because if you slow things down to, you know, every tenth of a second, players are going to be moving. And so, you know, I don't think that in, in the finals you can overturn something, you know, that 90% of the league would get overturned if it was looked at every single time. So I have problems with that. I have problems with, you know, the technical foul given to Tyrone Liu after an obviously missed call. Um, and I just really think officiating has really played into the Warriors' hands. And, you know, in a time in the NBA where, you know, it, the Warriors don't need the calls to go their way. Um, it, you know, almost in a sense that the Cavs need the calls to go their way just because they're so outmatched. But you're playing into the already favorites, giving them the right calls, feeding into that momentum. That gets, you know, that really gives the momentum rolling for their team when they're getting the right calls. Um, and it really makes for, you know... It, it, a less enjoyable NBA Finals. Um, so, you know, biggest beef, of, you know, biggest takeaway from games one and two, um, poor officiating, and I think that this is something the league needs to look into further um, in this offseason. Now on to the second bone I have to pick, and I know I just gave Ty Lu some leeway um, and, you know, you know, credited his personality, his persona on the court, how I think it was unfair that he received that technical um, and this may just be a more general term towards, you know, NBA coaches, but why do we allow NBA coaches to be more um, relaxed or unaware as college coaches? Um, I feel like every time we we have a close game in college basketball, you know, the coaches, the coaches say, you know, a team's down one, his coach is standing by that referee in case he needs to call a timeout. He knows that he has a timeout. He knows, man, you know, I have this great set play that we can use to uh, to win the game or to have an advantage. I'm going to stand by this referee in case I get the chance to call a timeout by, you know, the you know 1% chance that it goes into my favor. I will get that chance. I will, you know, maximize that opportunity and I'll give us the best, uh, you know, situation to win a game. George Hill's on the free throw line. And in one of the more improbable, you know, games of this NBA season, Cleveland could walk away with a 1-0 lead over the Golden State Warriors, the greatest team ever assembled. George Hill's going to take two free throws. He makes the first. It's a tie game. George Hill makes the second one. They have the lead with, you know, four and a half seconds left. If he misses, Golden State gets the ball. Maybe they, you know, take a timeout and try and win the game right there in regulation. What if Cleveland gets an offensive rebound on a missed free throw, and then we have four and a half seconds left to win the game? Why isn't Ty Lue joined at the hip with NBA with that referee in that one small chance that they get off the, get the offensive rebound, so that they have you know another play that you can set up, another chance to get LeBron James the ball, the you know one of the greatest guy, the greatest player in basketball right now, give him an opportunity to win the game for the Cavs, because they got that small chance. J.R. Smith got that rebound, and yes, we can be critical on J.R. He you know ran the ball out. He thought they had the lead. The game went into overtime, and momentum just swung with. Uh, Golden State for the rest of the, the way and probably the rest of this series. Why wasn't Ty Lue ready? Ready to call a timeout? I, you know, it even just speaks into the dysfunction of this team as a whole. Um, you know, all season there seems to just be, you know, tension between, you know, LeBron, the owner, the first-time general manager, the head coach who, you know, 
his, you know, this was, you know, he's only in his second and a half, you know, his second full season as an NBA head coach. The other players on the team, there's a lot of tension in this locker room. Um, and yes, you can be upset at J.R. Smith all you want. You can ridicule him. He should have known the situation that they were in. But Ty Lue should have also. And I get it. He's new to the game. Um, you know, he's new to being a head coach. Um, you know, he's in a situation that, you know, some would, you know, love to be in, some that thrive in. He's got to be aware. If he is, you know, considerably one of the 30 best coaches in the NBA, or one of the 30 best coaches in the world, this is the NBA we're talking about. This is the pinnacle for professional basketball. 30 teams, the 30 best head coaches should be in this league. If Tyrone Liu is one of the 30 best head coaches in this league, he needs to be joined at the hip with that referee in the 1% chance that they get an offensive rebound with five seconds left to call a timeout, draw up a play, get LeBron James the ball with five seconds, let him go to work like he did that entire game, 51 points, and give the Cavs a chance to walk out with one of the more improbable upsets in game ones or in finals history. This should have been a clean sweep and a, you know, oh, a cakewalk. For the Warriors. And it might be now. You know, after these two games at home, this could completely deflate the Cavs as they go back to Cleveland. And, you know, two games from now, we'll be looking at Golden State Warriors as NBA champions yet again. But if the Cavs had that one play, if they took a game one lead and at least came back to Cleveland at an even 1 1 series, this game had, could go in, the series could go in so many different directions. Because now you're at home, your rotation players are playing better. Cleveland, uh, you know, Golden State is traveling to a territory that isn't theirs. You know, role players play better at home. This would have fed into the Cavs' advantage so much better if Tyrone Liu was just joined at the hip of a referee. If he knew, man, we might get the ball back, we might be tied still. I have a play. I need to drop a play. I need to get the best player in the world right now, the basketball, with five seconds left. And I need to give us a chance to win game one. So Ty Lue, I'm sorry. Everyone is giving crap to J.R. Smith, and I completely understand that. A player needs to be aware of what is happening. But as a coach, I don't care if you're, you have five LeBron Jameses on the court. As the head coach, you need to do what is best for the team and you need to call that timeout. You need to draw up a play. You need to even let LeBron draw up the play. But you need to call that timeout because now Golden State is up 2-0. You're going home. Your team is deflated after an embarrassing loss in Game 1. Got blown out in Game 2 by some Steph Curry heroics. Um, and and now your, your series is basically over. And, you know, everyone thought it was going to be over. You know, everyone thought that this was going to be, you know, a, a quick, you know, series win for the Golden State Warriors. But you could have done something differently, and you could have shocked the entire NBA world. So, you know, I like Ty Lue as a guy. He, you know, struggled a little bit early in the regular season, had to take that leave of absence. Um, there was a lot of pressure when you're coaching LeBron James and, you know, whatever team he is on, because you're supposed to be the best in the league, and, you know, it's tough when you, you fall short. But you're a head coach in the NBA. This is the greatest, you know, organization of basketball in the entire world you need to act like you are the th one of the top 30 coaches in the world you need to call that timeout for your team and give yourself the chance to win so now I want to give a little breather uh, from the NBA talk I know we just spent that you know first entire half of the show talking about the NBA like I said you know wait till the end of this episode I'm going to talk a little bit more about the team that really needs to be assembled around LeBron James and, you know, you know, then look into some options into free agency. 
Um, so be sure to stay tuned to that. We're going to flip over um, to the NFL. Uh, like I mentioned, we're going to start doing some, you know, quick, you know, looks, quick checks in on uh, each NFL team as we, you know, gear towards the regular season. I've said this a few times, you know, it's kind of the downtime of the NFL season. You know, everyone wants to hype up that hidden gem that's, you know, showing strong in seven on seven drills and OTAs. And, you know, if you listen to the Sims and Lefko podcast, it's called Whoa, Big Offseason, you know, over exaggerated takes that are just takes because, you know, NFL news is uh, hard to come by this time of the year. Um, so instead of, you know, blowing up, you know, how, uh, you know, important those small storylines are, we're just going to look every episode into a specific team, um, kind of look at, you know, A, what I have pro- their projected record to be, um, and then alongside with that, their div- place in the division that they are in, as well as the, you know, the conference, whether it's the AFC or NFC, we're going to then look at three specific players. We're going to look at the team MVP. Um, we're going to look at the fantasy player um, for that uh, specific team. If you're, you know, a fantasy football fan, that'll be a great segment for you guys to look in on. Um, and then we're also going to look at their rookie of the year, looking at their draft class and projecting who will have the best season among them. Um so we are starting with the Arizona Cardinals, um, and I'll be honest with you, Cardinals fans, if you're out there, uh, it's not going to be the prettiest season for you. You know, you're kind of in this um, rebuilding phase right now. You you know you drafted your quarterback for the future in Josh Rosen. Um, you do have Sam Bradford, but you know it remains to be seen if he can play a string of games um, continuously. Um, you know, with all of his injury problems. You will have possibly the best running back in football coming back in David Johnson after, you know, he missed the entirety of last season. Um, And that can't be, you know, overstated enough his return because the impact that he has on that offense is just remarkable. Um, Yes, you still have Larry Fitzgerald. Um, The defense kind of still rebuilding. You've got some young uh, safeties, some young guys in the secondary as well. Um, And, you know, it's, you know, new coaching staff new quarterback, um, you do have some stars on the offense. It's going to be a down year for Arizona. Um, And, you know, not to say that this past year wasn't, but I think it's going to get worse. Um, I have them going a uh, whopping 4-12 on the season. Um, And, you know, in the NFL, in terms, they're only finishing with the fourth worst record. So I do believe three teams uh, finish uh, with a lower win total than four. Um, but they do place fourth in the NFC West. Of course, you look at that division, um, you know, all three teams um, have better rosters or at least, you know, better coaching and quarterback play um, when you look at the Los Angeles Rams, the San Francisco 49ers, and even the Seattle Seahawks, who I've been very critical of over the last few years. Um, They will still all finish with a better record than the Arizona Cardinals. Um, They do, however, finish with the worst record in the NFC by my projections. Um, You know, the other three teams that I have finishing worse than them are in the AFC. Uh, It's interesting looking in the NFC. It's tough if you're a team in the NFC and you don't have your franchise quarterback who is already, you know, a few seasons into his career. Um, Every, almost every team in the NFC has their franchise quarterback. Um, And, you know, it's kind of like the Eastern Conference versus Western Conference in the NBA. It seems that there's, you know, such, you know, an abundance of great teams in the NFC. Um, And then you look at the AFC and, you know, aside from maybe, you know, the Patriots, uh, you know, the Jags, Steelers, 
um, it kind of wipes out at the end and you have some, you know, lower level teams that make the playoffs as we saw this past season. Um, you know, the Bills made the playoffs, not to say, you know, not to discredit these teams, but the Bills, you know, the Titans, they were able to squeeze into the playoffs. Um, and, you know, you know, those wouldn't be playoff teams in the NFC, just with given, you know, the great quarterbacks that are in that um, conference, um, the great teams that are also there as well, great defenses. Um, so, you know, if you're a team that doesn't have your franchise quarterback who has already a few seasons developed in the NFL, like the Arizona Cardinals are, it's not going to be that great of a season for you. Uh, I have you finishing 4-12, and last in the NFC, last in uh, your division, but fourth uh, worst record in the league. Three teams in the AFC will finish with a worse record. Now, Team MVP, um, you know, this one is pretty obvious to me. Uh, it's David Johnson. Um, you know, usually I, I, I was looking at a majority of these um, Team MVPs, and a majority of them do come down to their quarterbacks. Um you know, there are a few teams, actually, you know, a, a handful that have non-quarterback team MVPs. Um, but the Arizona Cardinals, they don't have a, you know, a quarterback worthy of being the MVP um, for this team. The MVP is David Johnson. Um, you know, he can do everything out of the backfield. He is a receiver. You know, he'll put, a, you know, he's he's on a goal to get, you know, a thousand rushing yards and a thousand receiving yards. Um, you know, getting 2,000 all-purpose yards, 1,000 from each. You know, I, I don't see how, you know, he should, um, how we should think that he can't or that he's impossible. You know, it's not possible for him to do. Um, I expect a, a great season, a great return, a healthy return for David Johnson. Of course, if the quarterback play from Josh Rosen or Sam Bradford is better than what they had last year, I can't see how it shouldn't be. Um, then, you know, an even more remarkable season for David Johnson is in the future. Um, that being said, I also have David Johnson as our fantasy player of the year. Um, if you can get David Johnson in your first round and, you know, in the top few picks of your fantasy football draft, you are in great hands because you have a top receiver who, you know, is just used plentiful in the receiving game. He gets his, uh, he gets his targets. He gets his receptions. Um, you know, he just finds the end zone in as many ways as possible. He's a great runner, great between the tackles, aggressive guy. Um, who was, you know, on the verge, he was going to have a, you know, even more of a breakout year this past season before fracturing his wrist in the opening week. Um, so David Johnson, definitely the team MVP and the fantasy player now rookie of the year. And I guess this is dependent on how the, um, the situation fans out, but I actually have Josh Rosen, um, winning rookie of the year for this team. Um, you know, it's the team's rookie of the year, not the leagues. I gotta, you know, specify that it's the specific team's rookie of the year. Um, Josh Rosen, <clears throat> You know, if Sam Bradford does get the start from day one, and yes, he's probably more ready um, to be the starting quarterback for the Cardinals than Josh Rosen is, um, I can't rely on Sam Bradford to finish a full season of NFL play. Um, I can't finish, you know, rely on him to maybe even finish a majority of the season. Um, so I do believe that, you know, Josh Rosen does get the majority of starts this upcoming season at quarterback for the Cardinals just because of, you know, health concerns with Sam Bradford. We haven't been able to see him, you know, play a, you know, continuous string of games in quite some time. Um, so, you know, Josh Rosen, rookie of the year, just a quick recap again, Cardinals, you know, these, th these, you know, team breakdowns aren't going to be that long. Um, I am planning on having, you know, guests of guys who are familiar with specific teams. Um, I've got a few lined up for that already. So, you know, those segments will be longer when I've got teams. I don't necessarily know anyone uh, <clears throat> off the top of my head or have close relations with anyone that's a Cardinals fan. So that's why, you know, some of these will be quicker with others because I'll be sure to, you know, <coughs> ask a few, you know, questions to those guests um, about that specific team. Um, but Cardinals finishing four and 12, fourth in the NFC West, 
16th in the NFC. Team MVP and fantasy player for that team, David Johnson and rookie of the year, Josh Rosen. Um, you know, make sure to tune in on Wednesday when we'll go over the Atlanta Falcons. So now we're going to jump back to the NBA because I was doing a lot of thinking, you know, watching this Cavs team play, you know, against a, you know, an, you know, the greatest lineup of basketball players ever assembled, you know, on an NBA stage with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, you know, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant. We still haven't even seen Andre Iguodala in this series yet. And then I was looking at the other side of the ball and I was looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers lineup and you have LeBron James, you have Kevin Love. That's about it. Um, you know, Tristan Thompson played well for a little bit. You got some shots out of JR. Kyle Korver off the bench has been okay. Um, George Hill, you know, would like to see him step up defensively. Of course, when he gets switched on to Kevin Durant, it's nearly impossible for him to guard, you know, a seven-foot shooter. But, you know, it got me thinking about the right way to build a team around LeBron James. And I think I've heard a lot of people say this, you know, LeBron is an amazing player, but he's a terrible GM. You know, he's, he's you know, forced a lot of poor contracts, um, you know, into Cleveland. And that's why they're in the situation that they are in now, you know, with, you know, I mean, even trading, you know, even those recent trades, you know, Jordan Clarkson making a bunch, George Hill making, you know, 18 million next year. Of course, there's the big Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith contracts, um, you know, the whole way that this team is constructed is a mess and it's really, you know, it's kind of impossible um, to, you know, make any moves this offseason um, just with the the amount of bad contracts that are on this team. But, you know, what I was looking at with LeBron James and it's, it's you know, in comparison to him playing with other stars, um, I think that when you play with other stars, your games need to coincide with each other. Um, you know, like if, if you're, you know, one of the greatest passers in the, in the game, you want a great, you know, shooter, uh, you know, a great shooter to go along with that. Um, you, you want a, one of the best bigs, you know, at pick and rolls in the league. So you can, you know, work an amazing, you know, pick and roll game. Um, you know, if you're an undersized guard, you need to, you know, you know, have another guard in your backcourt that is amazing defensively and has more length. So you, you know, you can switch on and off with that. Um, Star players need to play alongside star players that coincide with, you know, how they play with each other. And, you know, unfortunately, when you play with LeBron James, you're not a star player anymore. Um, you become a role player. And yes, before you, you know, start thinking, but what about Kyrie Irving? What about Dwayne Wade? They both had to significantly change their game. Yes, they are star players and they won championships with LeBron James, but they all had to change their game um, compared to how they used to play with LeBron James. You know, Kyrie Irving, he's a point guard. He's the primary ball handler. LeBron James comes into town. LeBron James is bringing the ball up the court. And that, that changes so much with, a you know, a player's rhythm. Um, you know, Kevin Love, you know, he was an amazing post-up player. He was tremendous in the post. But when you're playing with LeBron James... It's LeBron James at point guard and four shooters, you know, around him at the three-point arc so he can dive in, draw a double team in the paint, kick it out to the shooters. So, you know, Kevin Love's game has changed just like Chris Bosh's game had changed when he was in Miami. It's tough to have star players, you know, stay true to their game when you're playing with LeBron James. And so I got thinking about the type of, you know, the, the starting five that I would need if I'm playing... You know, if I'm constructing a team with LeBron James. And the first thing I thought about is that, I, you, 
sure, let's throw in a second star. You know, I, I do believe that there you need a second, you know, all-star talent alongside LeBron James, just as you do almost with any team now to, you know, go up against the likes of the Rockets and the Golden State Warriors. It's just the way that your team is now. You need a second star to, you know, remain relevant. Um, the only thing I'm going to give LeBron this time is something that I don't think he's ever had before, and that is an all-star or better center. Um you know, he played with Shaq in his later days. Ilgowskis, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the centers he really played with that were great. Um, but, I, you know, I can't come up with any. It's, you know, Timofey Mozgov. And, you know, Tristan Thompson had okay years. Anderson Verjao was, you know, okay. He's never had a star center. And a star center is so important for LeBron James because not only is that the anchor to the defense, um, you know, another defensive force that goes alongside LeBron James, but it also is great for the pick and roll game. It's great for the offensive rebounds because once you have that all-star center, you need three shooters. You need three three and D guys, three Danny Greens on the court, guys that are three-point specialists and um, great defensive players. And then that's your lineup. You don't need three all-stars. Like, you don't need LeBron, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh because that all takes away from Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade's game. They're out of their flow. They're not playing to the level that they are supposed to play at. When you've got LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love, you take so much away from Kevin Love and Kyrie's game that they're no longer the stars and they're making way too much money where you could be filling out the rest of the team. So, when I'm looking at this roster, you need an all-star center and you need three 3-and-D guys, three Danny Greens. Um, you know, that's my favorite example because I think, you know, for, you know, the last several years, he was, you know, one of the more successful 3 and D guys in the league. Um, of course, you know, age is caught up to some of these guys in the league that are 3 and D guys. And of course, there's a, a new wave of 3 and D that you'll have to find. So that way you have LeBron, who is the primary ball handler, you know, a 3 and D guy isn't going to need the ball all the time. He's going to be a catch and shoot guy on offense and he's going to lock down defensively. So on offense, you have LeBron who's able to bring the ball up. He doesn't need to argue or doesn't need to share, you know, ball handling priorities with any other player on the team because your other all-star is a center. He doesn't need to bring the ball up the court. You work a tremendous pick and roll game with LeBron James and that all-star center. You know, if the all-star center, you know, can shoot and he's one of, you know, the better bigs in today's NBA, even better because then there's the pick and pop game. There's so much more that you can do creatively on offense. And when you have a great center along with LeBron James, that's more guys that are going to be crashing into the paint to prevent that all-star center and LeBron James from getting easy buckets at the rim. Therefore, more open shooters out on the wing. I don't think that, you know, I think that there have been, you know, when, when LeBron made the move to Miami and the move to Cleveland, it was, I need as many stars as I can get. I don't think that that's the way that LeBron James needs to construct his team. And trust me, if he's making a move this offseason, if he's going to another team, I think that he should have as much say as possible into where he, what his team is going to look like. You know, he did it when he came back to Cleveland. He essentially flipped that roster over in one night to make it look what it needed to be. Um, you know, trading for Kevin Love, bringing in J.R. Smith and Amon Shumpert. There were a lot of moves made um, because when you have LeBron James, you need to build the team around him. I just think LeBron James has... Um, looked at the way he needs to play with guys uh, in an incorrect way. I think he is, you know, an amazing player, but a below average uh, general manager. So, um, you know, I think that you look into this offseason and, you know, there are some, you know, great centers that are going to be available in free agency. Um, you know, there are some great centers that are already on teams that, 
you know, necessarily don't have the other star players. They have money um, to bring in LeBron. And of course, everyone wants to say he's going to go somewhere where he wants to win. You know, the, the, the four main ones are he stays in Cleveland, he goes to Philly, he goes to the Lakers, or he goes to Houston. Now, I don't believe that Houston makes that much sense because then you have to worry about Chris Paul's contract. You have to trade Ryan Anderson. You have to bring back Clint Capella. The money doesn't work in Houston for me. In Philadelphia, big center right there. You know, one of the, you know, all second team NBA, all NBA second team this year, Joel Embiid, star center, can shoot. Defensive force, they've got shooters there. They've got you know, uh, they had J.J. Redick, you know, maybe they bring him back on a cheaper deal. They had Marco Bellinelli, they had Ersan Ilyasova, shooters that they're able to bring back. It's great. Only question, sharing the ball with Ben Simmons, because you want to have Ben Simmons and your other star player out on the court, but he also needs primary ball handling. Um, the offense rolls through him just as much as it does LeBron. So, you know, that is the only thing that scares me about him going to um, Philadelphia. Then you look at the Lakers, you know, they have the ability to make room for him and another star. Um, everyone wants to say Paul George is on his way to the Lakers. You know, maybe that's true. Maybe he stays in OKC. But if you're bringing in LeBron James, you're going to want, you know, a bet you're going to want another star in there. And I think it comes at the center position. Um, Julius Randle is a restricted free agent. I believe you have to let him walk to free up some money um, to bring in a big time center. Um, and then even, you know, at that point, you've got some younger guys who are shooters. Kuzma is a shooter, Brandon Ingram, uh, Lonzo Ball, you know, got, you know, he really struggled from three at the beginning of the year, but picked things up by the end of the season. Um, that seems doable, especially when you take a look at maybe some of the guys that they could bring in. Now, I'm not saying that Clint Capella is an all-star center, but I believe that, you know, he is an above average rim protector. I think that he, you know, really blossomed this season in Houston, could work well in the pick and roll game with, uh, with LeBron James, but he doesn't have that outside shooting ability that I think would be, you know, the perfect key to him. You know, another option is, you know, possibly bringing in DeMarcus Cousins. You know, he's hinted about playing in LA before. Um, he is a free agent, you know, he could come back to New Orleans, but you know, who knows what he'll choose to do. He does have, you know, the option after, you know, being traded to New Orleans, he can test out free agency. And, you know, you put DeMarcus Cousins on that Lakers team, you have to create the room. You got to trade away your bigger contracts and you have to send away probably a good piece along with them for them to take on the Luol Deng contract. But if you're able to make the room, you, I don't know if you want your second star around LeBron James to be Paul George, a guy who, you know, needs the ball and a guy who, you know, by his standards, didn't have as great of a year this year because he was, you know, playing with another ball dominant star in Russell Westbrook. Um, you know, of course, Russ doesn't get his players involved as much as, um, LeBron does, but I do think Paul George needs the ball enough where playing alongside LeBron might not be his, you know, number one priority. And I think he would have to change his game like you had seen Kyrie, Kevin Love, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh all change theirs. With DeMarcus Cousins, who's a traditional center who can still shoot, great in the pick and roll, can, you know, pick and pop. He has improved his three point shooting um, immensely over the past few years. He's a rim protector. <clears throat> yes, he's coming off an Achilles injury. You know, that's, you know, shaky thing to come back from. But, you know, have to consider that option. You also have to consider maybe the other team in LA. Maybe the Los Angeles Clippers. You know, Jerry Logo, uh, Jerry West, the logo, uh, you know, kind of running things, uh, basketball operations with the Clippers right now. 
Um, DeAndre Jordan is undoubtedly an all-star center, you know, like Clint Capella, um, above average rim protector, one of the best rim protectors actually, but also is a guy that can't, you know, space out and shoot the three, but great in the pick and roll. You have DeAndre Jordan and LeBron James attacking the paint. You know, other defenders are going to shrink in to protect that. You kick it out to some shooters, you know, your Lou Williams of the world, um, you know, your Tobias Harris's, you have shooters there. Um, and then, you know, you know, Doc Rivers is a good coach as well. I'm not saying that you're going to, you know, day one be, you know, title contenders, but I like the way that that team is constructed much more than I do in uh, Cleveland. And then, you know, just a far shot hope of mine. I would love to see LeBron James and Kristaps Porzingis play together. Now I know the Knicks are probably the most dysfunctional organization in the entire NBA, um, maybe aside from the Brooklyn Nets, but it's pretty damn bad in New York. Um, but Kristaps Porzingis is seven foot three. He is an amazing rim protector. He can also shoot the three. He shoots, you know, a 39% clip from the arc, um, would work tremendously in the pick and roll game. I don't think Kristaps needs to be the primary, um, you know, score ball handler. I think him and LeBron would work perfectly together. There are so many different unique combinations there. And also, <clears throat> I understand that the Knicks have some cap casualties. You know, we're paying Joe Kim Noah to not even, you know, sit on the sideline. Um, and we also signed Tim Hardaway Jr. to some massive money. But, you know, if, if the Lakers can make moves, as everyone is expecting to, the Knicks could easily make moves, especially for LeBron James. If LeBron James wants to come and play with you, you make moves no matter what. And I'm not saying LeBron wants to play for the Knicks, but my thoughts on how a team should be constructed around LeBron James with, you know, one of the brighter centers in the league and, you know, three-point shooters around him, three and D guys, you got to look at who the best centers in the league are. You know, like the guys I just mentioned, DeMarcus Cousins, Clint Capella, DeAndre Jordan, Kristaps Porzingis, uh, you know, Joel Embiid, um, those, those, LeBron has never played with a dominant center, and I th truly believe that that is the key to how LeBron James can um, fight back against this Warriors unit, fight back, you know, against, you know, as he ages in his NBA career, um, as he moves into his 16th season. And it's just something to entertain going into the offseason because LeBron, you know, is definitely already thinking about where he needs to go. Um, maybe him and an all star center can join up on a team and wreak havoc in the NBA next season. And with all that said, we're going to bring back in this music as we approach the end of the Blake Pace Podcast, Episode 8. As always, you can find me on Twitter, at BlakeAndrewPace. You can email me, shoot me an email at BlakeAndrewPace at gmail.com if you have any questions, anything you would like to discuss. Um, I'm always down to hear what you have to say. Please, you know, uh, you know, leave a five-star review, leave a comment on iTunes. Um, I appreciate the support we've continuously got. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You know, a lot of talk about the finals, of course, is, you know, that's what's dominating the league right now. Um, and we will, you know, head into Wednesday with some more NFL breakdowns. Um, I appreciate it. We'll catch you guys on Wednesday.